Come on in. Come on in. <laughs> Come on in. Welcome, welcome. The slow road to better. Why do we do the slow road to better? Well, we've been lucky where we can talk about it to our our friends, people here at the Stroke Comeback Center, but now then we can tell more people across the world to learn about it. What is the it that we're talking about? Aphasia. Stroke yeah. survivors. TBI people. Life moves on. Inspiration help listeners. That our inspiration of a bridge of hope. I love it. Trying to help each other a lifeline. Part of it also is we started doing it. It's not because not because we just wanted to tell everyone to see what happened to us, but also we wanted to get better talking ourselves oh, with the phaser, and we wanted to one day. It's not going to phase is not leaving it, but we'd like to crush it a little bit. Let's listen and listen in. Hey, listeners, it's Melissa here. In today's episode of the Slow Road to Better. We have a very special guest with us. His name is Larry Pfeiffer, and he was invited to join us by General Mike Hayden. This interview actually occurred on November 17, 2020. We also had some technical difficulties. So I'm going to go ahead and give you a brief bio before we jump into the member's interview. Larry is currently the director of the Hayden Center. He and Mike have spent a good part of their careers together. Larry has a distinguished 32-year career in the U.S. intelligence community. He was senior director of the White House Situation Room in President Obama's administration, and he was also Mike Hayden's chief of staff while at the CIA. What did I miss? Nope, that's those are the highlights. Yeah, I spent a lot of years at NSA. That's where I first met General Hayden. And uh, then uh, I, I took a detail to CIA in 2004. And uh, um, very quickly, they created this new organization called the, called the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. General Hayden, as the director of NSA, was chosen to be the first deputy of that organization. And about the same time, John McLaughlin, who I was working for, retired. So uh, the timing was just right. And I went to work for General Hayden at the stand-up of this new organization. We were there for just over a year yep. when, uh, when the President of the United States decided that uh, what CIA really needed was somebody like General Hayden to come lead them. And my advice to General Hayden at the time was just grab a briefcase, go walk into the building by yourself and say, I'm here, where's my staff? And he said, that sounds great, Larry, but I need somebody that I know and that I can immediately trust. So why don't you come with me? Joined them. We were there. For, I was there with the general for a little over three years. So I became a CIA employee and I stayed for uh, uh, several years after the general left. Uh, unfortunately, President Obama uh, listened to some advisors who said it would be a good idea to have a new CIA director. So uh, he chose a guy named Leon Panetta to replace General Hayden. Uh, and then I was asked by the deputy director at the time, a guy named Michael Morell. Um, he asked me if I'd be interested to go to the White House. And the little boy in me was like very excited and said, yes, oh my gosh, go work at the White House. What a great thing. But I said, let me think about it for a couple of days. Um, and so I decided to do that. And uh, uh, running the situation room was just fascinating. 
just working in that historic building, knowing all the things that happened in that building, you know, for the last you know few hundred years is just just a lot to a lot to absorb. Um, working closely with the president of the United States, I mean, I was not somebody who necessarily agreed with all the policies of President Obama, but as a human being, uh, number one, he was a very very wonderful person, treated everybody very fairly. So just a wonderful human being, great family man. And, uh, and clearly somebody who, even though I disagreed with his policies, who's somebody who cared very, very deeply about the United States of America and the people. So, so that was very exciting and, you know, the, a lot of fun. Uh, I then uh, finished up there, went back to CIA for about a year and a half, two years, and then uh, decided that it was hard to top all the wonderful things I had already done. So maybe it was time to move on. And, and so I came out into the private sector and then lo and behold, General Hayden calls me again and says, hey, George Mason University uh, is interested in having me set up a center here at George Mason to uh, focus on intel and national security. And so uh, he said, I, I agreed to do it. But one of the conditions is that I didn't have to run it myself. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, and I know someone who might be willing to help. So he gave me a call and, you know, hard to say no to the general. So uh, uh, after 32 years in the business, it's nice to be able to meet with um, young students. Uh, many of them are young professionals already out there working who are excited about serving the country. And uh, you can get really re-energized when you meet with young people excited to work for the country. So with that, this is how we roll, Larry. I'm going to turn it over to the members of the group and they get to ask you questions. Mm -hmm. um, so have fun. All right. All right. Sounds good. I the first one. Uh-oh, okay. okay. I, I want to I, I walk through Benghazi, okay? Uh, Benghazi, what happened sure. there? Um, All right, wait a minute. Before you start, what are you drinking, Larry? You're, okay. a, you're a Diet Coke. Is that a requirement to work for the general that you both <laughs> must drink Diet Coke in the morning? I really so, am starting to think we should have a, an endorsement or some support from uh, Coca-Cola because the two of you. <laughs> When General Hayden was the director of CIA, actually, maybe I shouldn't tell the story. Is Janine in the room, Mike? I don't want to get you. Yes, yes, she is. Be very careful. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just put it this. Let's just put it this way. We had a refrigerator full of Diet Cokes when he was director of CIA. I won't tell you how many he and I drank of them, but there were plenty of Diet Cokes around. Okay. <laughs> All right, on to a more serious topic. Okay, back to Benghazi. <laughs> so Benghazi, as you guys know, was a horribly tragic event where. Uh, uh, some Libyan uh, miscreants uh, decided to attack our consulate in Benghazi, and uh, uh, and the Benghazi consulate clearly didn't have the security necessary to uh, repel the attack. And tragically, uh, the ambassador who was visiting the consulate at the time lost his life, and some others uh, lost their lives. Some security individuals, in particular, lost their lives. Uh, yes, sir, uh, that's right. And uh, and the uh, uh, they lost their lives at a nearby annex and. Uh, Lots of controversy and swirl in the media about what happened, um, but I think what everybody can agree is that you know it was horribly tragic, and and I think State Department was a bit at fault for not having an appropriate level of security at this facility, you know, when given everything that was going on in Libya. Um, I was working in the Situation Room at the time the event happened, and um, so in the Situation Room we have a watch floor. That's a group of six analysts and a few communicators. So good nod to the communicators. We had some great communicators there. Um, and uh, the head of the watch floor we call our senior duty officer or SDO. 
So I'm sitting in my little glass cubicle office and the SDO pokes his head in the door and says, Mr. Pfeiffer, I think we got a problem developing that I wanted you to be aware of and we might need to alert um, the National Security Advisor, maybe the president. And I said, okay, what's going on? He said, well, we just got a notification from State Department's watch operation, Op Center, that there's been an attack. There's an attack going on at the consulate in Benghazi and they don't know where the ambassador is. I went, okay, yep, that's definitely something we wanna let people know about. So um, in the Situation Room, there are also a small suite of conference rooms where important meetings about national security take place. So you all have probably seen the famous photograph of the president and his senior advisors watching the uh, raid on that, that brought down bin Laden. That was one of the Situation Room conference rooms. Well, there was a meeting going on in the large conference room that was being chaired by uh, John Brennan, who at that point was the Homeland Security Advisor, and uh, Dennis McDonough, the Deputy National Security Advisor. So I went and knocked on the door and poked my head in and said, "Sir, sirs, I need to I need to interrupt the meeting." I got the, the dirty look from two very important people who wondered why the Situation Director was interrupting their important meeting. Um, but they came out and I told them what was going on, and they both immediately went into action. John Brennan ran to his office, began making phone calls to the Pentagon, State Department, CIA, and others. And uh, Dennis McDonough ran upstairs to alert the president to what was going on. So this was this was probably sometime in the early, very early afternoon, I think. And um, we monitored the situation as the day was going on. And I was there until about 10 o'clock at night. And about there, it had reached a point where we actually thought things had calmed down and things were under control. And so I told the watch floor that I was going to go home. I didn't want to spend the night there. That's what they're there for. And, um, you know, I told them to give me a call and let me know if anything goes wrong. But I left the situation room that night at 10 o'clock thinking that, well, that was a horrible situation. And, and, uh, I think by the time I left, we, the, uh, the body of the ambassador had been taken to the hospital and we knew what was going on there. But, uh, but anyway, uh, um, you know, I then got a, uh, got woken up in the middle of the night with a phone call saying that it wasn't over, that there was another firefight going on. And, uh, and they were doing, uh, uh, getting them, uh, these individuals evacuated. And, uh, you know, I got to work, I got up and immediately went to work. By the time I got to work, uh, you know, we, we knew more about the loss of life and, uh, but more importantly, for me, from a situation room perspective, we had to we had to prepare the situation room to support a large contingent of people from the National Security Council staff who now were very, very interested about the security situation at every embassy and every consulate around the world. And so that's where our focus um, our focus immediately uh, turned to. But uh, it was an interesting night. You know, this notion out there that the that the people at the White House and the people at the senior levels of government didn't care or allowed it to happen or, or you know, it sat back and didn't do anything to stop or to help these people. From what I observed, that wasn't the case at all. I, had, I saw the highest levels of the government very concerned, moving very quickly to try to move what resources they could move to try to resolve a situation that was you know, quite fluid. And unfortunately, at certain points in, in, in the as the evening rolled on at certain points looked like it had calmed down. And so I think that contributed to, uh, to some of the situation, but, uh, but that, that's my Benghazi story. Do, Re do they, I'm sorry, go ahead. Do they still have the, um, uh, who are they called? Uh, in the U S 
in every uh, country they have people live there. Um, the, the the guy that got killed or do they have that in uh, uh, what is a country? You just said the name of the I'm terrible. Libya, Benghazi. Yeah. Do they have people An there? Ambassador. Yeah. Are they there anymore? Or are they just they're not there because there's that country's not there. There's no there's nobody in charge there at that whole country now. Yeah, I uh, I I honestly don't recall if we have an ambassador in Libya or not. I I just don't know. Maybe General Hayden knows. I I don't know. I, I don't uh, know. I don't know. There's there was a problem, and uh, right as you said, there's two people vying for the country, the country, yeah. and it, I don't know what we'll do. I don't know what we would do. They um, that was that's a really interesting uh book and and uh, the 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 uh the movie's pretty good too because i can't really read books myself but uh mm -hmm. it's pretty interesting and the the thing is so crazy when that the people came to get in the fight they wanted to kill the americans and everything that was on 9-11 that day so it was kind of like a weird evil what they did you know well the uh that was one of the things we were actually on alert for, as, as General Hayden will tell you, every 9-11 anniversary, the intelligence community and the security services all go on a high state of fear that someone's going to try to honor the anniversary of 9-11 by attacking us again somewhere. So some people think that may have actually, that some people are disappointed that, again, given that it was the 9-11 anniversary, they didn't have an appropriate level of security at a facility where the ambassador was visiting. So they've State Department security has definitely made changes and learned horrible lessons from from that event, but uh, uh, very tragic. But the country's still not there yet. Oh There's no, nobody no. in charge that, there yet. That's yes, indeed. It's like uh, the Wild West. I've got one. Okay, this is for Larry or Mike or both, <laughs> and I'm gonna call this like it is. With that idiot in the White House and not conceding. Doesn't this put us in a vulnerable position with North Korea, China, and Russia, and the rest uh, of the world? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I've been getting phone calls from reporters from all over the place asking that very question. And what I tell them is um, a few things. The first thing I say is to give a little bit of good news. Um, the individual who's about to become president, Joe Biden, is probably the most experienced person elected president since George H.W. Bush. So he was vice president for eight years. He had many, many years as a senator. He has a lot of background knowledge. He, 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 he knows the history of a lot of things. So, so his learning curve isn't going to be as steep as some people who become president. That being said, he was in office four years ago. And as you know, a lot happens in four years. Yes. And so every day that he's not being told the latest information from intelligence, the latest information about U.S. policy, the latest information about diplomatic interactions with another country, that's information. You know, I mean, there's only so many days for him to try to absorb everything about everything. Um, so it, it does put the U.S. at a disadvantage and at some risk. Um, 
if on January 20th, when he's sworn in, he doesn't have the full advantage of this time period to get up to speed. So it is, uh, it is a worry, but the, the opposite perspective is, thank God we have somebody very experienced coming into office, and many of the people who are around him who will come into office were also in government four years ago as well. So that may soften it a little bit. But I don't know, General, if you have other perspective or... No, that's exactly right. We'll, we'll be okay, but it'll be a problem for a while. And, you know, 9-11 happened, and there was the 9-11 Commission that studied why it happened. And one of the things they state in their report was the delay in the beginning of a transition because of the whole Bush versus Gore election struggle. Oh, uh, what was that called the chad the hanging chads yeah yeah that's right the hanging chads um but that delay was one of the factors that was one of the factors that contributed to their lack of preparation on 9-11 that they that if they'd had more time to prepare perhaps they would have uh had more people in senior positions by that point and maybe had, had would have listened to some of the warnings with a different perspective. So yeah, great question, Ike. Do, do and yes, you, he is and yes, he is an idiot in the White House. I'll agree with that part. <laughs> do you think um uh what was it in uh February of 2001 or sorry, 2003 when the um Bush said he had a uh, oh shoot, who is he? I'm terrible. I have aphasia, so I'm terrible with mm -hmm. these names. But he went to go to the um up in New York, but like the whole uh, the United Nations, yeah, and uh, Cole, what's his name? Colin Powell, yeah, and then he like had all these uh, things that was going on and was going so wrong, and the in the uh, Iraq was gonna, you know, they were gonna want to kill up these atomic bombs and kill all the Americans and people, all this stuff. Do you think that was for real, or do you think? Bush just wanted to go and come back to Iraq, beat him up because his dad never finished the whole thing. <laughs> well, I, I know I know General Hayden has an opinion on all that. <laughs> so I was in the meeting before this, okay? So um, CIA, NSA, and so on. And we were there for about three or four hours, okay? And, and, and there's some problems, okay? But mainly they said, no, that's right. That, that is, he, I'm sorry, what I wanna say is Saddam was a problem and he has, I think he's going to get weapons of mass destruction. And we, and we so I was in the meeting and I said, yeah, I think so too. And we all did. Yeah, what a lot of people don't remember, you know, hindsight is always 2020. And what a lot of people don't remember at that time is that not only did all of the US intel agencies pretty much agree that Saddam was developing these horrible weapons and would probably try to use them, but every other intelligence service around the world felt the same way. And, um, and so we all marched forward and ended up fighting this war only to find out that he didn't have the weapons that he that we all thought. But he he, he wanted to say that though. 
That's right. He wanted, he, his thing was, he wanted Iran, his next door neighbor, to think he had all those weapons. But he figured the U.S. had such good intelligence that they would realize, that the U.S. would realize he was bluffing. So the U.S. would never bother him because they would know he was bluffing. But Iran, because they wouldn't have as good intelligence, would be afraid of Saddam. So he made a very bad calculation. There were a lot of one, a lot of lessons learned from the WMD intelligence estimate. And one of those was that um, in the intel community, the people that drove that analysis were largely people who studied weapons of mass destruction. And the people who actually studied and understood Iraq and their culture and their politics and their government didn't have as much of a say. And perhaps if there had been greater coordination between the weapons experts and the regional affairs people, there might have been a, a different assessment made. Um, but again, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Yeah, because uh, I was I was waiting to go to uh, Afghanistan, and then, but I still hadn't gone because, and then uh, they said they were going, and then that's when I went to go to uh, officer candidate school. And then, but then when we went to, uh, okay, I guess we're going to Iraq instead. But I, I mean, I think a lot of soldiers I knew and everything, they really wanted to go to Afghanistan and beat up those guys, what they did to America. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, that, uh, I mean, it's hard to say what we would have done differently. I mean, I think, I think ultimately there was concern that, that Saddam Hussein at some point would have felt that he had the freedom to develop the weapons again. You know, that, that although he had not yet started them, he probably within several years would have restarted the programs because he ultimately did believe that an Iraq with those advanced weapons was going, would be the dominant force in the Middle East. So I believe if the assessment at the time had been, oh, he doesn't have them yet, but maybe he'll decide later. I think there's a possibility that we would have fought the Iraq war, but instead of fighting it in 2003, we would have fought it in 2013 or something instead. It was very interesting for me. Uh, I was teaching now, okay? And uh, one of the people in, in Iraq was now in the United States and was a, he was running the weapons program, okay? And he lives in Falls Church. And so I said, well, come on down and talk with my students. And, and he did. He thought it was okay because he wanted to meet me. And also if he knows everything and he talked with us now and he was going to do it for my class too. That must've been a very interesting class. And <laughs> by the way, he was, a long time ago, he was in Virginia at the, at the he was there uh, in university. In oh, really? UVA, yes, UVA. Yes. Well, that's what a lot of people do forget is we were actually very close allies with Iraq at one time and we used to train their military and we used to encourage them to come and study at our universities. So, uh, Larry, from your perspective, I'm guessing you got a crash course in stroke and aphasia. 
when the general had his stroke, how did it, has it changed your relationship or what were your original thoughts perhaps when the general originally was probably having more difficulty communicating? Sure. Well, you know, so I got the word like the day after the, 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 the it might've been the day, it might've been the night of this. It was either the night of or the day after he had the stroke. And, um, and it was, you know, obviously quite a shock because uh, um, General Hayden, if anything, was known as being very fit and very vital and very active. And he, had, he and, he and Janine had just come back from this big trip to France. And uh, he was always, uh, he was like the, the energizer bunny. He was always going, going, going. And uh, in fact, he was going so much that I used to say to him occasionally, and I know Janine was saying to him, hey, you got to slow down a little bit. You're going to kill yourself. I had actually seen General Hayden the day before he had his stroke. He had come to the university and we had had a meeting uh, just to kind of catch him up on things that we were planning. And thank goodness we had the meeting because it helped set the direction for much of the rest of the year that I was able to execute even with him having uh, being down with a stroke. But um, getting to your question, the day that that evening, the one thing I would note is uh, General Hayden more on more than one occasion when I was talking to him kept saying how tired he was. And General Hayden never, ever complained about how tired he was. So General Hayden has the stroke. And, and of course, the initial word back is that it was very, very serious and uh, and that he had lost his ability to communicate, which I thought was horribly tragic because the general was very well known for being a great communicator. The one thing I did know was that General Hayden was a very determined individual. And if anybody was going to be able to fight back and come back from that, it was going to be General Hayden. And uh, um, I was uh, very thrilled the first time I got to talk on the phone with him. He was still in the rehab center and, uh, and he, was able to, he was able to offer a few words um, to me over a speakerphone that somebody was holding up. And I saw that as a positive sign. Moving forward though, he, um, he was very eager to, to try to get back involved in what we were doing. And so he had the stroke in November. We had a Hayden Center event planned the week after he had the stroke. So we went ahead with it without him. And uh, Michael Morell stepped into the role General Hayden was going to play at the event, which was very nice of him to do. We then had, I think, an event in January um, without General Hayden. But the next event we did in February, I think it was the February event, General Hayden, was that the first one you came to, I think? Yeah. Yeah. General Hayden actually came to the event. Yeah. Um, that's true. To, to, you know, to, to, to just be present. Um, did not have any kind of speaking role. Um, we always had a reception at the beginning of an event and a reception at the end of the event. And he would, he was there for that and was uh, uh, able to communicate a little bit with people at the time. But by the, uh, by the following fall, uh, General Hayden was attending all the events and staying for the receptions and was interacting with people. And so it was very exciting to see him making the recovery he was making. And, you know, I think he's, you know, continuing to make the progress he's making, but I think we all realize, you know, at this stage, at least, you know, General Hayden being able to talk at the level he was talking before the stroke, you know, is, is it, it's hard. It's, it's something that that's not happening right now, but uh, every, every day is a little bit more progress. You know, I, I look at somebody like Gabby Gifford, who, you know, was shot in the head, uh, you know, like uh, our buddy Pat here, and uh, she couldn't communicate at all. And then you see her at the Democratic Convention getting up and doing, now granted it was recorded and she had to 
practice, I think, and work very hard. Mm -hmm. But she got up there and she actually d delivered a very coherent uh, speech, which was just remarkable to see. I actually got to see her a few times at the White House back in between 2011 and 2013. And she was really unable to talk much at all. I mean, she couldn't talk like all of you can talk. And, um, and to see her where she is now just tells me that it's just a day by day thing. You just work one day after the next day. And maybe tomorrow's not as good as today, but maybe the day after tomorrow is better than today. And, 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 you know, and, 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 and you can do great things. The other thing I learned and that I always try to make sure people understand is that um, getting the right words out of your head may be hard, but you're still the same person in there and you're still having all the same great thoughts that you had. And so people just need to be patient and encourage and listen and assist when they can, but don't always try to talk for the person, make them talk. So there you, you go. That loss of language, not at Absolutely correct. And, uh, and I think when people do engage with General Hayden, they very quickly realize that he's still the same wicked smart guy that he was uh, before the stroke. Uh, it's just... Uh, uh, it's well, just you did a lot for me about a month ago. Remember, mm -hmm. I was there for a, a, an hour or two. Remember? Are you talking about the event we did? Yeah. 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 So I've been bugging General Hayden for quite some time. And I, I would every, you know, we call each other every so many weeks and I give him updates on the events we're planning. And every time I, we plan an event, I say, okay, so sir, this is the one where you're going to come out and you're going to talk, right? You're going to do welcoming remarks. Oh, I don't think so, Larry, not this time. I'm like, well, why don't you, we record your welcome remark. Well, maybe not this time. I said, okay. I said, that's fine. I said, but I just want to remind you, I'm going to ask these questions every single time we plan an event. So uh, we did an event the other day. There's an author, a guy named Chris Whipple, and he wrote this great book that's a history of CIA directors over the course of the last 50 plus years. And so I thought it would be, you know, being the Hayden Center for Intelligence, I thought, well, we have to have this guy come on and, and uh, talk about his book. So I said to General Hayden, I said, I think what would be really cool is if you participated in the event, you know, we would, this would be the only time he's been out doing events where one of his subjects is actually in the room with him talking. And uh, you don't have to talk. You can talk as much as you want. You can talk as little as you want. Um, but I think, I think it would be really a unique thing to have you there. And I said, it's like football. I got to get the football analogy. I said, uh, I will be Pat Summerall and you can be John Madden. So you just throw in the color comments whenever you want. And so I, I was very thrilled he agreed to do it. I think Janine was probably pushing him from the back to make him do it. And uh, I think the event went very well. And if you haven't seen it, we have a YouTube channel, Hayden Center YouTube channel. The, and you see General Hayden did, uh, uh, did contribute and did a, did a good, actually a very good job. I, you know, these are all little little milestones. You know, you, you you try something new, and you know maybe it works this time, maybe it doesn't work, and then you try again. And so that's so those are the kinds of lessons I think I learned from uh, uh, from 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 watching the general. Um, you know, I was there, right? And I just I just did a, a thing, a one minute or two, and then he said something, and I said, "Wait a minute, that's not right." <laughs> I was going to say I um I haven't 
read that book, but what did you think about Mr. Whipple? Is that the author's name? About his description of you? Was it accurate? Yes, indeed. But he said some things that I can't say. <laughs> <laughs> I will say with the aphasia, we haven't gotten Mike to cough up any secrets. So I, I, I can safely say that... Um, one, aphasia does not make you um, start spewing all of our nation's secrets. <laughs> Larry, I want to thank you so much um, for coming and spending an hour with us. This was a great opportunity for the members to interview someone on a, a topic that is not necessarily stroke and aphasia related, although in some ways it certainly is. I appreciated your time and your stories. Anything else? we should say before we wrap it up so um, the one the, the one story that i didn't get to tell that i should tell so one time we go down so the general we would go to he'd he'd pop out of his office he'd look at me and go larry have you had lunch yet no sir let's go to the cafeteria okay so we'd walk down to the cafeteria we'd get in line at you know at the subway or the or the salad bar and you know people would be like oh oh general sir and he'd say no no i'm in line just like everybody else and we'd get our food and then we would walk out into the seating area and the seating area is like a lot of cafeterias a lot of long tables and then but there were also some round tables that would seat you know 10 people or something did everybody so, have to get stand up no no, no, no oh. nobody stood up in fact people didn't even necessarily notice us walking by because they didn't expect to see their director walking around the cafeteria but we would always look around and the general would look at me and goes hey there's a table over there and it's got a couple of empty seats let's go over there and we just walk up and we'd say, hey, can we join you? And people would just be like, you know, they'd spit their food out. And the boat, oh, 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 yeah, sure. So <laughs> one time we go up and we, hey, can we sit down? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. And we sit down and we're like, hi, how are you? And the general they, says, oh, so what is it? Was a big class. It was a big area. Yes, yes, big, big open area. So this big table, we sit down and, uh, you know, the general begins as usual. So, hey, uh, nice to meet you. I'm General Hayden. I'm the director. What do you do? But as he started to say this, we looked around and we noticed that there were there were gifts piled up on the table and there were gift bags and 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 the the the, the woman kind of opposite the table from us was noticeably pregnant. And so we had actually interrupted some woman's baby uh, <laughs> shower. <laughs> and uh, uh, as we so as we finished and we left, I I said to the general, I said. Uh, this is a story that that child is going to be told for the rest of their life it is how exactly. the director of CIA attended their baby shower. <laughs> that'll be, um, if you've ever played the game, two truths and a lie, that'll be somebody's <laughs> truth forever and no one will ever believe it. That's true. So with that, thank you. Thank you, Larry. And thanks Mike for making it happen. Thank you guys. We're going right. to wrap it up on this episode of the slow road to <laughs> All right. Our lawyers made us say this. Disclaimers. What about disclaimers? Your opinion, the group opinion is not valid. Well, it is, but it's valid, valid, but I'm having a disclaimer so that we don't get in trouble. Yes. Doctors. Doctors. Who's doctor? Um, they, they, their doctor. Yes. All right. Yes. So, if people hear something on this podcast, you should ask your doctor. Doctor. Amen.